Hey there, this is Jody Flynn of Women Taking the Lead. And if you're curious about or would like to develop the skills to be successful in male-dominated fields, industries, groups, associations, organizations, what have you, then you're going to be interested in the conversation I've had with Melinda Gagnon in this episode. We talked about her journey working in male-dominated fields and what made her successful, how we are all multifaceted and can draw on feminine and masculine energies, approaches to respond to what's needed in the moment what instigated the transition she made to owning in her own business, and how she's managed recently to loosen up and take herself less seriously, right? As overachievers, isn't that sometimes the hardest thing to do? We take our work so seriously, and there's nothing wrong with that, but sometimes we take ourselves too seriously, and that's where the trouble can begin. So if this sounds good to you, stay tuned. I've got Melinda coming right up. Hello, my name is Jody Flynn, and welcome to Women Taking the Lead, where we are all about creating blasts of inspiration to help you overcome self-doubt so you can lead with confidence, integrity, and a sense of humor. Head over to womentakingthelead.com to join the community and get the resources to support you on your leadership journey. Now, your future awaits, so let's get started. Hello, and thank you for joining me. I have with me Melinda Gagnon, who specializes in launching and growing products and companies and has 20 years of experience in business strategy and digital communications. She is the CEO and founder of Uprise Partners, a consulting and investment firm specializing in engineering, IT, and marketing. At Google, she was a founding team member of the Advertising Technology Organization in Cambridge, Mass., and at WPP Group M, the world's largest media investment organization, she founded and led a digital consulting practice as well as the Product Management and Technology Group. She has advised clients such as Procter & Gamble, General Electric, Volkswagen, Unilever, Land Rover Jaguar, Allergan, Walmart, and many others. I think some of you can identify, you know, we know a few of those names. And she is also a mentor for Mass Challenge and Techstars. Melinda, that is so high level and just a little intro for everyone. So tell those listening more about you. Oh, great. Well, thanks so much for having me, Jody. I'm, I'm excited to know you and your podcast. It's fantastic. Uh, so, I mean, a little about me, uh, you know, I would know we probably have a lot of Maine listeners. I'm, I'm a Mainer, born and raised in rural Maine, and uh, went to Bates, left Maine to, uh, to work and, and go to grad school. And I've been really excited to come back to Maine. Uh, I worked remotely while I was at WPP, as you mentioned, and then started my company here. And um, while we have team members all over the country, I'm, I'm very happy to be based in Maine and also helping to support some uh, Maine-based startups and mentoring with our, our Top Gun Accelerator program here as well. So excited to be home and growing something here. Yeah, just amazing. You bring so much experience and talent right to the state and contribute to companies here. And I'm I'm very curious about this because we hear a lot about um, women in male-dominated fields. And you, 
like you were in the thick of it. You were in the technology field when it was becoming like a thing and was very much male dominated. And I'm always curious because you were leading teams and you were getting promoted pretty actively and given great opportunities. So that tells me you were succeeding and standing out in that industry. And I'm curious, you know, looking back, what do you feel made you successful, you know, working with so many men? That That's a great question. And I think it's, for, for me, it's really twofold. I think it's, it's one, learning to adapt to the environment you're in and to understand how to flex into different skill sets in order to stand out and stand your ground and, and accelerate your efforts. And it's also creating your own opportunity. Because while I learned to lean into different qualities to excel and stand out in male-dominated settings, I still don't think I necessarily stood out against my some of my male peers if we were, you know, equally qualified. So I had to create my own opportunity. I had to stand up and say, "Hey, I want to start this team." And here's why it's a good idea and why it's going to propel the business forward. Let me do this. Let me run with it. And if I fail, I fail. But it's, it's my risk that I'm st- you know, stepping up to the plate to take. And that worked really well for me. So I think it's, it's really those two things of you know, adapting to your environment and then just looking for that white space and taking a risk and creating that opportunity for yourself. Yeah, huge. And, you know, I would give that advice no matter where somebody is. Like the people who stand out are the ones who identify the problem and then create a solution for it. So oftentimes when I may have friends or family or, or, or even clients say like, oh, this thing drives me crazy at work. I, I can't stand that we do it this way. I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, ding, 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 ding. That's an opportunity. Like you can like, influence that. You can change that. Come up with a plan and propose it. And a lot of people don't want to stand out in that way, right? Because you are going to get asked a lot of questions and, you know, it will test your mettle. But, you know, that's what opportunities are. They're risks that Absolutely. you take. And Melinda, can you give us an example? Because it's like we we mentally, you know, on a high level, understand, okay, adapt to your environment, create opportunities, leverage different, you know, skill sets um, to, to stand out and be seen. Can you give us an example where this has worked for you? Yes. So um, I think the, the best example is, is really my experience at, at WPP uh, Group M. So that's a, it's a massive media holding company. I started in the Boston office, um, ended up managing teams in Boston and New York. And when I first started there, I was recruited away from Google and very, very hard move. That's a whole nother story of how you make those decisions to leave the company in a, in a place that you really love. I love my time at Google, but I went to WPP to um, first start working with Procter and Gamble on how to use search and social data to inform their communication strategies. So it's like a lot of kind of um, data mining, if you will, to, to figure out what people were actually looking for, um, needing, embracing, things like that. 
And that gave me the idea of, wow, this is really powerful. We can build a whole consulting practice on this and do much, much more. So that's when I went to our CEO and said, look, here's the opportunity. Here's what I want to do. So that's how I started that first team, that consulting group, ran that for a few years. So fast forward to the last promotion that I had before I left, uh, I was reporting to the chief product officer, Group M. When I got that promotion, I walked into the big fancy executive suite in Manhattan and, you know, they had the fancy coffee machine. I, I always felt like, oh, I arrived because I have the Nespresso. I don't have the Keurig anymore. <laughs> it's like, like I was, you know, pretty, pretty excited and settled into my desk and realized that I was the only woman in that suite other than the assistants. And Group M didn't earn the nickname Group of Men for no reason. And literally in the industry, that's that was kind of the joke, you know, that you kind of had to be, you know, if you were a British man, you, there was, <laughs> you, you did even better. But, you know, that was kind of the environment that I progressed through. And what I kind of learned over time, and I had plenty of, of wonderful uh, male supporters and male sponsors. So, you know, that I was very fortunate, also had, a, you know, to this day, one of my biggest champions of my entire career, an amazing woman um, executive at Group M. So what I learned over time was how to lean into what I'm going to call, you know, in generalities, my masculine quote unquote qualities. And I'll describe what I mean by that. So if we just think in kind of classical terminology, and this of course has nothing to do with gender, it has nothing to do with sexuality. It's just this understanding of, you know, Classically speaking, we, we understand kind of masculine qualities and feminine qualities. So masculine qualities might be like, you know, strength, action, structure, being aggressive, having singular focus, you know, that type of, type of thing. Whereas feminine qualities are more empathetic, nurturing, receptive, soft, you know, multitasking, maybe more quiet more emotional, right? Mm -hmm. So we have these two kind of sets of qualities and we all have them. It doesn't matter how we identify male, female, whatever. We all have a blend that makes us a full human being, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> With all Correct. these qualities. Yes. But what I learned over time was being in a, in a more male dominated place. Um, and I saw time and time again, these very um, masculine qualities were being noticed, were being rewarded. Um, that really ha helped me to learn quickly, well, I need to adopt these qualities. And if my nature, I mean, my voice, I'm going to just use that as an example. I'm a, a soft-spoken person. I have to work at projecting my voice. So that's one thing I had to start working on in meetings. I had to learn how to speak up. I learned little strategies of when I walked into a conference room, where I was going to sit. One, so people could actually hear me. And two, so I would be visible, so I could have a better chance of participating in the conversation. Because I, I knew I was less likely than some of my male colleagues to cut in and interject. So those were things that I knew about myself that I wasn't really... 
kind of hardwired to do and just kind of my natural personality. And just side note, that doesn't mean because I'm a woman, I'm naturally, you know, soft-spoken. There are many men who are naturally soft-spoken and also have these same challenges. So I really want to kind of decouple the whole gender and masculine feminine qualities, right? It's just about identifying in yourself, what are the qualities that I kind of lean naturally to? And when does that serve me? And when do I have to really focus on leaning into other qualities that are going to better serve me in certain instances and think that through. Right. I love how you brought up, this is about instances, right? This is about when you've identified the environment, the dynamic, what is needed in this situation because it adapts as well. You know, and I've noticed this in leadership that some people require of me a more like more masculine qualities in a leadership style. And some people require more feminine qualities. So for example, some people want me to be direct to the point, action oriented, whereas some people need me to be empathetic and softer, you know, and, and be, and they need the relationship to be a little bit different, right? More nurturing, that sort of thing. And so situationally, it could look different depending on the person I'm interacting with. And I have also noticed that in certain, um, especially in business networking circumstances, you know, sometimes what's required at first is to showcase your competence your abilities, you know, talk about the experience, your kind of your resume, like what's your experience. And then, you know, you can showcase like that you, you are adaptable and you're a giver and you, you know, are looking to build relationship and that sort of thing. But it all depends on, you know, it's kind of like reading the room, like what's required in this situation. Absolutely. And it can change even during one meeting, you know, whether you, let's just say, for example, you're leading a meeting and you start by being really directive, really structured, saying, okay, this is what we need to do here together. And then you purposely shift gears to step back because you want the group to step into that space and not feel like bowled over by you, right? We don't want to be dominant in that situation. So it really is, you know, that constant asking yourself of, well, do I want to be, you know, dominant right now? Do I not? Do I want to be receptive and and just encouraging right now? Or do I need to take charge? And, you know, it's also very interesting, like you said, with different people, um, certainly uh, that can change. And also, you know, I found with, with even with client work, you know, there are some times where you're very collaborative with a client and then other times where you need to just kind of have that conversation of like, no, this is the way we need to go. And, and here's why. And, and really be more forceful about it. So it really is a matter of um, how do I best show up to do what I need to do in this situation and communicate in the best way with these people around me, you know? And reflecting back early in my career, I definitely had to learn to lean into those masculine qualities. And that served me very well early in my career. Because I had to um, really be very structured and buttoned up. I, I think we hear that time and time again from women who, you know, move through the ranks pretty quickly is that they feel as though 
they have to be even more prepared, put together, documented, you know, just basically all the I's dotted, T's crossed than some of their male counterparts. And I I think that has um, the why in that, I think has many reasons. I I think it probably has to do with that fear of, uh, you know, the imposter syndrome or maybe I'm, I'm not worth it or just, just needing that, uh, kind of proof, whether it's just to yourself that no, I'm, I'm ready for this and I can do it. Um, I mean, I can say from my own experience, I actually, um, was very happy that I was overprepared because I was flat out challenged a few times for what I was trying to do from folks who felt quite frankly, you know, I think a little threatened with things changing, and um, and that happens, right? When change happens in in any organization, but especially a huge uh, kind of holding company environment where um, there's there's a lot of a lot of politics, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I had to have a, a fast lesson in you know how to advocate for what I thought was best for the company, for the team, for our our just business overall, and um, just be really strong with that in every in every way. Yeah, so much gold and what you just said there. So for those listening, I think you're going to want to rewind about five, 10 minutes and listen to that again. But just something I want to pull out, especially because, um, you know, the, the person listening to this podcast tends to be an overachiever and mm-hmm. dealing with perfectionism and some people pleasing too. So I think when you talked about your early career, how you, you pulled on a lot more masculine qualities, I definitely see that in myself. I see it in my clients and the other women who I interact with, who are overachievers or type A, high performers, that sort of thing. Because we're trying to prove ourselves, because we want to show that you know, we're qualified, we can do a good job, call on me, hand raised, I got this, that sort of thing. You almost go overboard, you know, trying to, like you said, be structured and buttoned up and deliver. Like you're essentially the goal is I want to deliver tons of value and wow people. And the work with a lot of my clients is how do I scale it back a little bit so I can find the balance, especially when you hit a point in leadership where now your job is really to develop the next round of leaders, or you need to bring a team together to collaborate. And I loved the, I I got a visual when you described that meeting, you know, maybe at the beginning of the meeting, it needs to be a little more directive and structured, like, okay, here's what we're here to talk about. Here's how we're going to do this. You know, here's the agenda. The meeting is starting. Like, these are the ground rules for the meeting. And then you have to take a step back and encourage people to speak up and offer their perspectives because that's the whole point of having us all together in the same room. And then if the conversation's going off the rails, now you've got to switch roles again and be more directive and facilitative and put rein people in a little bit and remind, maybe remind them of the rules. And to end the meeting, it's got to be structured again. Okay, let's capture what we, we discovered here. Here are the takeaways. Here are the action steps. Here's what I promise to do. Here's what other, you know, and I could just see it in my head. And, and that can be tricky sometimes, but like, At the same time, like a beautiful dance, like once you've kind of gotten more facility around it, you can see what's needed in the moment and you can rather than like this jerky turn, which was what would happen with me at the beginning. Like when I try to shift gears, it would be a little jerky, like you just weave in and out and people 
just go with it. They go with the flow because they see you in all those different facets. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in that description, that that's absolutely why I love I love running workshops because you know you're in a room with people. The dynamic is constantly changing, and your job in running the workshop is just to like you know pull pull the best out of people. Notice that person who maybe isn't speaking up, and without of course calling them out, making them maybe even pull away more. But you know, encouraging and letting that creativity kind of take off and flow, and know when to pull it back. It's mm-hmm. it's really fun. Um, and, you know, I think for, as I kind of reflect back on, on that kind of journey through, um, you know, that almost 10 years in that, that last role, uh, what has made such a big shift for me in now starting my own company is I've recognized the need to shift how I function and actually lean into more of those feminine qualities that I had not necessarily undervalued, but I guess everyone, or I shouldn't say everyone, but let's face it, most uh, corporate corporate world mostly values the more masculine qualities. That's just kind of our typical um, vision of success and a and a competent leader. But I've I've found with having my own company that while yes, of course, having uh, you know a clear direction. Um, being committed and, and structured with that overall, but to do my best job with empowering this just awesome team that we've brought together over the past couple of years, I need to play a much more like receptive and supportive role than I've had in the past. Mm-hmm. And and I think it is because I'm no longer in kind of an environment that. Um, uh, is, is I guess always challenging me. Like this is the environment that that I've created, um, you know, with my co-founder Brian, who's also my husband, and you know, have a, a really strong leadership vision for what we want to be and and how we want to show up for our clients and just do the best work that we absolutely can. So that's there, and that's that's very solid. So if I can now um, kind of show up to support in the best way I can that's me doing my, my best. So it's a, it's a very different, a very different role than what I've had in the past. And if someone would have said, Oh, Hey, do you think you'd have more masculine qualities as a, you know, head of product or versus a CEO? I'd be like, Oh yeah, CEO all the way. Of course you're running the whole thing. Actually, no, you know, and, but I think it's because it is a very, um, the, the environment is different overall, you know, and, and what we value at Uprise. Yeah. And, and I see those roles like kind of what I envision the CEO or president's role is your job is to bring out the best in the smart people you have gathered around you and he like set up uh, an environment or a dynamic where people feel that their ideas are welcome and their perspective is valued and you know, the CEO has to have the vision of the company, you know, and hold that vision, but it's the people around them who also inform that vision and where we're going. And so it is interesting. You like some of the best CEOs, when I read up on their leadership style, you'll often hear comments made about them. Like they're a great listener. 
right? They give their opinion last. You know, they know how to ask great questions. You know, that sort of thing. They're they're like you said, data mining and information gathering, and also developing the the people around them so that they can you know, take on greater roles or responsibilities and that sort of thing. And it is a very feminine um, style of leadership when you get to that level that I think sometimes people like, unless you're in crisis mode, like people don't, don't seem to like think of it that way. Yeah. It is really interesting. Yeah. When you put it that way, because you're right, just the way we typically talk about leadership. Yeah. It doesn't include those things, but you're right. It is absolutely critical to be successful. Um, to listen and support and to do all those things. And I mean, we're, so Uprise is in year two now, and I just couldn't be more excited with the team that we put together early this year. We hired um, an engineer from Amazon Audible. He led engineering uh, while they were going through a huge, huge growth period. Uh, We've just hired a couple more just stellar people um, in software engineering um, and growth marketing have an awesome person who's stepping in to kind of lead all of our marketing initiatives and, you know, just seeing that growth over time and building something that these just incredibly talented people want to join and be a part of. I just, it's, I can't even say how rewarding it is, you know, when you, when you're just like, yeah, you're, you're on board and you want to build this thing too. And um, it, it's really exciting. So, you know, I just kind of am so often kind of count, counting my blessings of like, well, okay, whatever we've been doing for the past couple of years, I want to figure out what those things are that, that are, you know, <laughs> attracting these amazing people. And, um, I want to just keep it up cause I'm, I'm really excited with the team. Yeah. Distill it down so you can repeat it time and again. And this is a great segue cause I, I, I'm curious you started your business a couple of years ago, but you had some sweet gigs before this. Like you talked about going from Google to WPP Group M and, you know, and how hard that was. And you were, the work you did there was what drew you. So it was like, even like Google and even better. And then you decided to go in and start a business. Like what brought about that transition? Yeah. So, I mean, really it was the sense at my my last role that I had done everything I could to move that organization forward. And I felt like I was at that kind of plateau spot. So, you know, I had started two different teams there, grown them. Um, the company, you know, I, I actually had, uh, you know, another promotion about six months before I decided it was time, but it was just it wasn't that there wasn't more good work to be done. It was just, I felt like I had made the big moves already. So I felt like my impact could, could just plateau. I guess that's the best word for it. Um, I was also seeing some of the signs in the industry that, um, you know, I, I thought there was a better way to serve clients. And if anyone looks at media holding company stocks over the past four years, they'll know exactly what I'm talking about. But um, I wanted to think of a better way to create value in businesses and just to help people bring their ideas to life. So part of my role um, at Group M and WPP was to work with, with technology startups. 
So as a, as a mentor and also to think through with them as part of that mentorship, how do you grow and how do you get to the point where we could, for example, do a pilot with Procter & Gamble? So let's say, you know, we do a pilot with Tide and Tide loves you. Well, then if we want to bring that across the whole laundry portfolio, we don't want to break the startup, right? We don't want to break the company. So that was kind of part of what I would do to say, okay, do X, Y, and Z. And when you're there, like, let's talk and let's try to get you in front of these, some of these big opportunities. And we also, uh, as, as a holding company, did a lot of investments and acquisitions that, that I would um, you know, help do evaluations and analysis for. So that kind of got me to working very closely with startups. And I just love, I love the entrepreneurial space, whether you're inside a huge corporation, like I was kind of a quote unquote intrapreneur, right? Starting two organizations within a massive company. Um, But then working with true, you know, startups that are founding something new, it's all very exciting. So that was really what I left that role in my mind of saying, okay, how can I do things differently? How can I serve these startup founders as well as these massive companies, right? Because I am a firm believer that we need to have absolute, like world-class knowledge and service for some of these smaller businesses as well. It shouldn't only be the Fortune 500 that can get the kind of support, you know, that's needed to really like launch something and have it take off. So that really hatched the idea for Uprise to say, okay, how can we build a team and have all the skill sets under one roof that can truly create, launch, and grow a company or, or a product, right? So we work with early stage startups right through to multinational corporations. It's really about the, the fit is a company or an organization that wants to make, wants to make change, right? There's something new that they want to do. Um, we've also done a lot of work with IT managed services. These days we launched this early this year because you can imagine, you know, companies that went from having basically all of their IT under one roof or in, in their offices, managing that and ensuring it's secure is a lot easier of a job than in today's world where people are working from home and Starbucks and so forth. So that's a huge area that we've been, been helping companies with, um, particularly you know, in, in the world we're in now. But but that was really the impetus for starting Uprise. How do we do things differently? Um, how do we offer this type of work so that a, a company doesn't have to go to four or five different firms? You know, your ad agency, your um, IT managed services firm, your engineering firm, um, and then maybe have a consultant who understands technology so they could be your you know, CTO or give CTO advisory. How can we get them under one roof? Because that saves a ton of time and it saves a lot of money too when you can have that team that can flex into different areas um, depending on where the impact is. Right. It's so funny you use the term entrepreneur because, you know, that when we talked earlier about, okay, I can see what's missing. So I want to start this new team and we're going to do this. That's totally an entrepreneur. And if you're an entrepreneur, if you're the ideas person and, and I, 
and I said earlier, like not everyone can do that. Like not everybody wants to be visible and make change and come up with ideas and then the plan to see it through. Uh, it definitely tipped off to me like, oh, she had that entrepreneurial spirit right from the beginning. And I think, you know, whether people identify with that or not, I think a lot of people can identify whether they're in the thick of it right now, they're making the transition or they're on the other side of, I think I've plateaued here, mm -hmm. right? I don't see a lot of opportunity before me and I'm getting bored, especially overachievers and high achievers, high performers. Like we need the next big thing to learn and grow and challenge ourselves, you know, to make, just to make life interesting. You know, we don't, are not the people who are wired for rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. We like, we want the next big thing. And I, what you said about wanting to make a service available to more people, you know, in different circumstances, that definitely resonated for me because the core of what I'm doing right now in my business is the same as what I was doing in corporate, where I was motivating and inspiring people to bring out their best work and, you know, take care of themselves, you know, and, you know, work as a team and that sort of thing. And I did definitely feel the plateau and the feeling of, what I can provide is limited to this one company when I'm an employee. But if I were to go out on my own, I could provide the service to anyone who needs it, you know, and feeling like I could reach a bigger audience and make a difference for more people by making that move. Was it scary? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. I'm sure you felt the same way, but so rewarding. And you're in such a like sweet spot place right now too, with your team and the growth of your company. So congratulations to you for making that move. It's, it's not for everybody, but when you know it's right for you and all arrows are pointed that way and you make the move and you, and I can tell from the way you've talked about it, like you give it your heart, your soul, like your mind, like all of it goes into creating this amazing process product and experience for your clients and customers. Yeah, no, and, and it, you're absolutely right. It, is, it certainly isn't for everyone. And I think the, you know, the big question that anyone should ask themselves is they're thinking, okay, I'm reaching this plateau. What do I do next? You know, you're going to have that really just honest conversation with yourself about like, what is my risk tolerance? It's a, it's a practical question, but it really, you really have to be good with that because you're right. Starting your own business is a huge risk. Mm -hmm. How much can you risk, right? Can you go a year without income? What happens if the business goes bust? Are you okay? Do you have a plan B? Are you just going to go back to the workforce? Once you think some of those logistics through, it becomes a lot clearer about what your options are because the last thing you want is to go out there on a limb and then say, oh my gosh, no, no, no. This is, I'm risking way too much. I am terrified to the point it's not a healthy thing. Yes. <laughs> right? Because then there is a place like that. Yes. Um, but if you know that, okay, you know, this is my plan. I've got two years to stand this up. And, you know, you have your plan A, plan B, right? You're still taking a huge risk. Even if all that is, you know, those boxes are checked. But also through that, you know, the, the decision may be like, no, I don't want to take the risk to start my own company and that's okay. Well, Hey, go start, go be a, an early team member at another company 
or or find you know a, a role that is is different. It still leverages your skill set, but it's a very different application of of what you've done in the past. That can be. Uh, really transformative mm-hmm. in your career and enlivening, right? If you're yeah. feeling like your job is dull or you're stuck, like a change like that can enliven and bring vitality back into your your day as well. Absolutely. So there are so many different ways you can kind of have that jump start without, you know, totally going all in and you know starting your own company. So you know, and another thing I always think it's great to think about are like what are the what are the values that mean most to you in whatever you do for for work? And those can show up in a lot of different ways and maybe in a totally different field that you had never thought of before. So if you value, for example, um, you, know, you love to be creative, um, you don't like um, being in one place for too long, you love working with small teams, you know, like what are those contexts that can give that to you? You know, so just another thing to think about if anyone's at that that plateau place. Yes, <laughs> you know? which many of us find ourselves in. Yes. So this is these are all good questions to ask. And well, I definitely don't want to miss the opportunity because in one of our conversations you had talked about and and I can relate to like and we talked about earlier like when you're younger in your career, you're more buttoned up and structured and you know, I I may have even been described as sometimes tightly wound um mm-hmm. at times. And, you know, we, we also talked about this transition you go to as you mature and your leadership develops and all of that. You mentioned at one point um, in one of our conversations about how recently you found yourself um, loosening up and taking yourself less seriously. And for overachievers, I think that is invaluable to have in your arsenal is, is the ability to not take yourself too seriously and loosen up about things. How did that come about? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. I mean, so I think for me early in my career, because I was leaning into more of those masculine qualities and really felt, I really felt the pressure of, um, of all of that, that I was kind of dealing with and what I had to push my way through to get to where I wanted to go. And that caused me to take myself very seriously. And I think just as a, I mean, I think my parents would even say, you know, when I was five, I had my like business card drafted up. I think I always took myself seriously. I'm that's just kind of my, uh, you know, type a overachiever MO like right through school. Uh, and that carried me through my career. Um, and I think what made me kind of realize that it was good for me to let go uh, was the point of starting my own company and wanting it to be different because I saw throughout my career so many things that I, I thought could be different in terms of how companies are run, about how, you know, team members can be motivated and have meaning with what they do every day and how that translates into doing just the absolute best work for clients. And so in order to truly like walk the walk, you have to like shed all of those, uh, I guess the, the, the things you pick up along the way that actually aren't you. Right. 
like we talked about leaning into masculine qualities and instances. Well, when you, when you lean into those things for like 15 years, (laughs) it becomes pretty, pretty uh, deeply seated. Mm -hmm. So I had to challenge myself to say, Hey, this isn't how I have to operate anymore. We're creating something totally new here. What do I want this to be? And, and if this is going to be something where people are like really excited to come to work, we're doing our best work. I need to show up just as like the true me in a way that I have never felt the courage to do before. And it really is a matter of like having that courage to do it. So, you know, I am not perfect to my team. I mess up and they see it. I acknowledge it. Um, I'm open with the fact that, hey, we've come this far, but guess what? We still have this to figure out. And it's, it's creating the kind of culture that we want. And it's not because, you know, I'm this like very different kind of person. It's just about being real, you know? Um, So I I know we always have this kind of talk about authenticity and all this, right? Everyone's trying to be authentic. Well, it's really just um, not trying. It's actually just not trying, but having the courage to be like, I don't have to mask this, you know, I don't have to, to, um, to be different than I really am. Now, you know, I know we talked about these masculine feminine qualities. You can still lean into these things and you still be you. It doesn't mean you're going to you turn into someone else when you dial up the map, you know, dial up the structure on the masculine scale. Right. But those are tools. Those are communication tools and, and management tools. But, um, you know, and, and for me, I've kind of, there's an awesome Bob Dylan quote. It's, uh, like he says something about, instead of growing old, you grow young. And that's totally, (laughs) that totally describes it for me. Like, okay, now I can ease up. It's actually going to be okay. You know, you kind of, and I think that's also just being around for a while. You know, I'm, I'm six months away from 40 and it's just, okay. Yeah. You can kind of let go of the reins a little bit. It's, the, the ride isn't this frightening. It's going to be, it's going to be okay. Right. You've it's done really okay good. thus far. You're going to be okay. <laughs> exactly. I love, I love how you put that because you're absolutely right. Sometimes we take on tools or ways of being situationally, but we sometimes do it so often. And for so long, we forget that that's not who we are. That's an adaptive style. And I talk about yes. that a lot. And um, I wrote a book and I had a whole section on what I called stress personalities. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my clients, when they come to me, they think that that is who they are. And it's not. It's just a way of adapting to stress that they have taken on just to be able to, you know, get by and cope and deal with it all. And I I love it. It's almost like it hardens like armor around you. But when you realize like, oh, this isn't me. This is just tools I've been using. I can take off the armor. I like we think the armor is our skin. And when we realize it's just armor, we can put it down. And so the the visual I got when you were talking about that was like taking the armor off and then just embracing your humanity. Like you're a yeah. human being and you're allowed to make mistakes and you're allowed to be yourself and you can be quirky and, you know, whatever your style is, you can be that there's no one thing you have to be. I loved how you said you, you just stop trying. Like you, you don't have to try anymore. And that brings you to relaxing, taking Mm -hmm. yourself less seriously and more like that. It sounds like that go with the flow 
experience of just responding to whatever's coming at you in a way that's true to yourself rather than in a way that you're just on autopilot and reacting to it. Absolutely. No, and I, I absolutely love the armor analogy you used. It is so spot on. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I've been there. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I feel like everybody who emerges from like a, a very corporate world has that, that period of like, eight, nine months or however long of, of like shedding, shedding the old. Yes. With. Absolutely. I to- I love that shedding after the experience. I I went through that as well. It, it did take a good eight, nine months or so to be like, Oh, okay. This is, this is me. This is who I am again. Not that it was a horrible experience or anything like that, but you just get conditioned to respond yeah. certain ways that might not be completely in alignment with who you are naturally. Oh my gosh, Melinda, gosh, this has been such an incredible experience. Please tell those listening, um, how they can, um, connect with you. Oh yeah, absolutely. So um, I have our website is uprisepartners.com. Uh, I also have a podcast. If you're into how tech influences our daily lives, that's datamyths.com. And you can reach me uh, by just the contact form on the website or Melinda, M-A-L, uh, Melinda at uprisepartners.com. Yes. And for those listening, you can find all the links and resources shared in this episode at womentakingthelead.com. You can put Melinda's name in the search bar at the top and her page will come right up. And as she said, her name is spelled M-A-L-I-N-D-A. And Melinda, thank you so much for taking the time to inspire and enlighten us. We are all better for having met you. Thank you so much, Jody. This was fun. Hey there, it's Jody again, and I'm betting that you resonated with a lot of what Melinda and I were talking about in this episode. I know you are an overachiever and you've got big goals and some of these things you just can't help but laugh. And I just wanted to let you know, Melinda and I talked about stress personalities and wearing armor. And I mentioned my book because I actually have a process that I take you through in my book that helps to dismantle and take off some of that armor. So if you're interested in getting my book, Accomplished, How to Go from Dreaming to Doing, you can find it in Amazon and you can find it by searching the title or by searching Jody Flynn and there are also links to get to it on Melinda's show notes page and various places on my website. So if that interests you, please go grab a copy and then talk to me about it. Let me know how it goes. You can join the Facebook community all around the book. I'm here to support you. And as always, I hope this was of value to you. And here's to your success. Thank you all for joining me on Women Taking the Lead. And to strengthen you on your own leadership journey, I'd like to send you off with a quote from Marianne Williamson, so here goes. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. 
And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Again, thank you for joining me, and here's to your success.